dismissed if there's any still left here. We're finishing up today by God's grace. Our time that we've been studying the Lord's Prayer, I hope that you've learned a lot and I hope that this has revolutionized your prayer life. Anybody? Anybody listening to me? Is this on? I know it takes, my, Kim and I say, you got to get my attention. Like the, the longer we've been married, the more time it takes to get each other's attention. So I get it. But this morning, if I can have your attention, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read to you the entirety of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to finish up the last little piece this morning. And uh, it's an important part, and it should bring it all in for landing together. I hope this has been something you're incorporating in your daily prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for the word. We thank you for Matthew chapter 6. We thank you that the disciples had the guts to ask this question, and we get to listen in on your answer. Father, it makes a difference in our prayer lives, Lord. And they didn't ask to be taught a prayer. They asked you to teach them to pray. So we realize this is a template for us to follow, not a prayer to be repeated over and over, but a template to show us how to approach a holy God out of relationship in a way that we can bring our needs before you and connect with you every day. Father, I thank you that, Holy Spirit, you're showing us how to do that, even this morning, uh, that our prayer lives would just be a, a, a closer walk, a deeper connection with you. In Jesus' name I pray, and the church said... Amen. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9, Jesus speaking. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning, we've covered every bit of that prayer, except the part that says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, you might think, well, that's just an ending, Pastor. That's not, uh, that's not part of the text. No, it's absolutely part of the text. And we're going to see that uh, this part of the text actually bookends the whole Lord's Prayer in a way that makes theological sense for us, and it just closes the the pattern down in a way that we can understand from beginning to end. So I want to say something about that phrase. It's a part of verse 13. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You might be holding a Bible in your hand that doesn't have that included. Now, every credible Bible translation includes a part B to verse 13. Uh, either they include it as part of the text or as a footnote. And it's important to understand why that is. Now, the King James Version and the New King James will have it as part of the text. It's going to say right in verse 13, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory uh, forever. Amen. But if you have other translations like New American Standard or the NIV or some of the other ones, they will have it as a footnote. And here's why. Because if you understand how the Bible was translated, it was translated from manuscripts that were written by scribes. So there's not just one manuscript for the Old Testament and one for the New Testament. There are many, many copies written by many, many scribes. This lends to the authenticity of Scripture because they take these manuscripts and from them they pull everything that's credible and include it in the text. Now, why didn't they include it in some versions? Well, that was a choice that the, the Bible translators made because in some manuscripts it didn't include this, but in some it did. 
So understand, it's either in the text or a footnote, and that's the answer why. Now, the King James Version is one of the the most, if not the most, uh, credible translation of Scripture. It includes it, and I want to talk about it today because it powerfully complements the prayer pattern that we're looking at. So uh, whether you have it as a footnote or write in your text, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This fits perfectly within the pattern of prayer that Jesus taught. And here's why. Because it creates a shift back from focusing on our needs to focusing on the attributes of God. You see, remember, the, the, the whole prayer started off with us focusing on God as our Father. And we go to God and we recognize he's our father, that he's sitting on the throne, and that, and that you know, we worship his name. Okay, this is all about God in the beginning. Then in verse 11, a shift takes place, and we start talking about, you know, give us this day our daily bread. And we noted that that's a shift from focusing on God to now focusing on our needs. Then on our responsibilities to ask forgiveness for our sins and to, and to forgive those who sin against us. And now, you know, we focused on God, then we focused on our needs. Now the focus shifts back to the attributes of God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is a valid scriptural pattern seen throughout the text of the Bible. It's part of the Christian experience. Everything we do begins and ends with God. Amen. If we just, you know, said, hey, God, hello, you're on the throne. Yeah, here's all of what I need. See you later. That that wouldn't just wouldn't be right. We shift back into focusing on God. And so what we're seeing here is this pattern of and you say, well, how is that scriptural? Because God is what? The alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the beginning and the end of the Lord's Prayer. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And so understand this complements the scriptural patterns that we see. What's happening here is that the Lord's Prayer is bookended by us focusing on God. It starts and it begins, and all our needs and all our requirements are sandwiched in between God. That's a perfect picture of the spiritual walk that we are called to. Amen. Everything begins and ends with God, amen? He saved you. He's going to keep you. He's going to get you to heaven in the end. Uh, He's the beginning and the end. And so he's the beginning and the end of the Lord's prayers. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And I I want you to remember that, that everything in your life starts and ends with God. And let your prayer life model the same thing. So we pick up here in the second half of verse 13. And it starts off discussing a topic that we talked about way back at the beginning of our study. And it's the idea of the kingdom of God. It says what in verse 13? Yours is the kingdom for thine is the kingdom. Now we've heard that before in the Lord's Prayer. You remember? Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is kind of like a throwback here. We're focusing once again on the kingdom. Uh, Verse 10 serves to remind us that we are part of, when we come to Christ, we're now part of a different kingdom. Anybody saved? Anybody know Jesus? Anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Amen, yeah. Now that you're a Christian, you no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the flesh, the, the kingdom of the United States of America. No, you're in a different kingdom now. You and I as Christians need to get this. It's part of our biblical worldview. We're, we're not, you know, we're, 
uh, in this world, but we're not of the world. We're just passing through here. This, this is just dress rehearsal for eternity, amen? I, ho- I hope you don't think that this is it, that you got to get everything, you, you, you know, experience everything here in life and have all your fun now and do it before you get old. Come on, that ship sailed. There's, there's things I have the money for now I don't have the energy for. There's things I have the time for I don't have the, I don't have the energy for, Right? And, and what does the world say? Well, the world say, well, this is it. You know, you die and you go back into the dirt and that's the end of you. No, and you need to have a bucket list and you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to have fun now and you need to experience this, that. And, and you say, well, pastor, don't you want to travel and see this in the Eiffel Tower and the Grand Canyon? <laughs> I ain't going. I'm here to do God's will. And when I'm done, he'll take me home. Amen. I don't have a bucket list. I don't have a punch list. I don't want to travel all over the place. You say, well, you should take more vacation. We're, we're a little tired of you. Listen, I'm staying here. I'm going to keep preaching, amen. I'm going to watch what God does. We don't need to have a bucket list. This is not it. This is not where all our fun happens. For the Christian, the next life is the best life, Amen. When we step out of this world and into eternity, that's really when the fun begins, amen, in the presence of God, around the throne room of God. That's my bucket list. I want to get there. There's people I want to talk to in heaven, amen. And so, you know, we're talking about the kingdom here. At the end of the prayer, the kingdom is brought up again. And we're we're reminded we're part of the kingdom of God because we're the king's children, amen. We've been born again by the blood of Jesus, grafted into the body of Christ, grafted into the promises of Abraham, and we are king's kids. Woo! You say, well, what do you, Pastor Rick, what do you see out there at second service of Full Gospel Center today? I see royalty. I see the children of God. Amen? I see the king's kids. You might not feel like it. You might not think like it. Your bank account might say the exact opposite, but listen to me. You are rich in the Lord today because you are a child of God, part of the family of God, part of the kingdom of God. We need to begin to think like it and act like it, amen? I'm not saying get cocky. Just just be thankful. I'm one of the king's kids. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I got an inheritance in Jesus. I'm just passing through. I'm a sojourner here. I'm not planting roots. I'm not building kingdoms. I'm not looking for earthly kingdoms. I'm just passing through. I'm on my way to heaven, and I want to take as many people with me as I can. Amen? Part of the kingdom of God. So when the text says at the very end, bookending the Lord's Prayer, when it says, for thine is the kingdom, what does that mean? It means that our God sits on heaven's throne with complete authority and dominion and power in the heavenly realm. He reigns supreme. He's unchecked, unchallenged. No one can unseat him from his throne. That's good news, amen. Everything we know in this life is temporary. I'm working for so-and-so. Oh, they sold the company. Oh, that was my boss. He got me the job. They just fired him. Uh Uh-oh. No one's going to fire our heavenly father. No one's going to unseat him from the throne. No one's going to cancel out the blessing of God that he's decreed upon the lives of those who love him. Amen? He sits in complete authority and dominion in the heavenly realm. His kingdom is above every 
other kingdom. Something we should know about the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom is that there is an attribute about God. And we understand God by understanding his attributes. An attribute is something that's always true about God. We can say God is love because God is always loving. Amen. Even in his judgment and his, and his wrath, he's loving. Do you know when God is pouring out his wrath on people, it's, it's not to destroy them, but to bring repentance. If he has to get to the place where he has to wipe people out, man, you have really tried his patience for a long time. So uh, an attribute is something true about God. There's an attribute about God that says he's sovereign. Our God is a sovereign God. What does that mean? His sovereignty can be found theologically in Psalm 50, uh, verse 1, Isaiah 40, verse 15, and 1 Timothy 6, 15. If you want to look into the sovereignty of God in its scriptural basis, there you go. You can dig in. But our God is sovereign, and what that means is that he does what he wishes with his creation. By implication, God's sovereignty declares that there is no external influence upon him or above him. He has unchecked ability to exercise his perfect will amongst creation. That's good news for us today. Whether you're thinking, well, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't get up this morning for theology. You're giving me a headache this morning. We need to understand the attributes of our God, that he's sovereign, that nothing that touches us can touch us without first passing through him. Nothing gets by him. Nothing gets around him. Everything we're going through now it, it has passed through his hands, so it's going to be all right. Amen. You know, Many times we have to look at the messes of life and say, you know what? I don't know how, I don't know when, but it's going to be all right because God is sovereign and he's on the throne. He's ordered my steps. And the, the kingdom is his and the king is protecting and keeping everything about my life. Spurgeon spoke about the sovereignty of God. He said there's no attribute more comforting to God's children than his sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe of trials, the sovereignty of God says to us that he is still in complete control of our lives. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how dark it is. I don't know if they told you there's no way out. But listen, your God is on the throne, and he is the king of the kingdom. He reigns sovereignly over everything that has to do with our lives. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, as we look at the kingdom and the king of the kingdom, and we're reminded again that God is on the throne, that he, 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 you know, seated on the throne, that's the picture that you and I should have in our minds of the Father. He's not running around. He's not at meetings. He's not, you know, running frantically saying, oh, the world's getting out of control. He's seated. What, is, what does that imply? When someone is seated, that shows that they're in perfect peace and perfect authority and perfect dominion. God's not sweating. He's seated. Amen. Hopefully today at the end of this second sermon, I will go home and seat myself somewhere with a plate of food in front of me. And then I will sit in a seat and I will take a Holy Spirit nap. But when you're seated, you, you know, you, you're at rest. And the picture of God at rest seated on his throne is a, is a picture that should give us confidence. Because he's the God who perfects what concerns us. Uh, this morning, understand what God in his sovereignty, in his complete control and dominion has chosen to do uh, with the kingdom. It says here in Ephesians 1, 
starting in verse 20, which he worked in Christ. So talking about the father working in Christ. He raised him from the dead and seated him. Uh Uh-oh, Jesus is sitting down too. At his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He will put all things under his feet, speaking about Jesus. And he gave him, Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What has God chosen to do with his sovereignty? Listen to Philippians 2.8. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 9. Therefore, God, here's him exercising his sovereignty, also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. So our king reigns sovereign. He is the king of the kingdom. What has our father God chosen to do with his sovereignty? He seated Jesus at his right hand. He's given Jesus all power and authority over every other kingdom. He's given Jesus the name above every name. He's put everything under Jesus's feet. He's made Jesus the head of the church, his body. He's made Jesus to have the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess, amen. Gotta get this today. Our Father who art in heaven, who's seated on heaven's throne, has taken his power and his dominion and his kingdom, and he's placed all of the authority in Jesus. You say, well, what's the point? The point is we are co-heirs with Christ, joint heirs, amen, because of that, because of who Jesus is to us, the head. All of those things, all of those blessings, all that security is now ours in Jesus' name. Woo! Man, if you can't get excited about that, we need to get the Holy Ghost jumper paddles out, man. Some would say clear, boom. Boop. Hey, man, even if it's going boop, I'm just going to keep preaching. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Our Father art in heaven, amen, who seated on heaven's throne. For thine is the kingdom. Realize you're a king's kid. Your your heavenly father is on the throne and Jesus is seated and all power and authority is given to him. Oh, we are so blessed because of Jesus this morning. We're so blessed to be part of the kingdom of God. So the refocusing that's happening here in verse 13 continues and points to two more things that are exclusively belong to God. And it says, for thine is the kingdom, then it continues, and the power and the glory. Say power. Power. Say power like you mean it. That was good. Glory. Glory. Amen. Pastor Mike gets all, when Pastor Mike says glory, it's got a special ring to it there. Say it, Pastor Mike. Nah, you didn't do it. He says, glory. Felt some Holy Ghost coming out of the front row here. The power and the glory. Wow. That belongs to God. Now, you know, it seems like the understatement of all understatements is say that God is powerful. Right? I mean, those words don't even do him justice. 
But I want to just describe to you, uh, as best I can, how his power works in a way that we would see just how amazingly powerful our God is. Our God created everything that we see, everything we can't see. He's created everything in this world, everything in the heavens, and everything in the spiritual realm that we can't see now. He's created all of that. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? You know, God allows us to create things. You know, if you build something, man, if I build a birdhouse, I'm pretty happy about it. Look at that. I built, I created something. Anybody create things? You build things? Anybody seen pictures, done work? Any, no. When you create something, when you build something, if you're in construction, you frame a house and you step back and you look at it and the roof is perfect and the dormers are, and you look at the walls are square. It's awesome to create. But... We just reflect a little bit of God's creative power, and it takes us so much energy to create something. The things I build at my house, a deck or, you know, whatever I'm putting together, I mean, the amount of work it takes is exhausting. And, you know, that's why when you're done, it's a monumental achievement. I want to show you something about the power of our God. He created everything just by the words of his mouth. No sweat. He just spoke everything into existence. Genesis 1, verse 3. Then God said, did you hear that? God said, let there be light, and there was light. He said it, and it happened. He didn't call Con Edison. He didn't get a contractor. He didn't go for a building permit. Hello? Genesis 1, 6. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and it was so. God made the land. God made the oceans. God made the light. And all it says is over and over, and God said, God said, God said in, in, in verse 9, let the waters be below the heavens, be gathered up into one, and let a dry place appear, and it was so. So here's God creating all of what we see today just by the spoken word of his mouth. That's power, amen. That's power. Man, I wish that, I, I know we all wish we could do stuff like that. Walk into the garage, garage be clean. No, by the sweat of your brow, amen. See, God is a God who can just speak things into existence. He's powerful. You say, well, that's great. Thanks for the tour of Genesis, but what does that mean to me today? God is still speaking over our lives. God is still speaking about you and I. Oh, you got to get this this morning. He's still decreeing things over there. He's still speaking blessings and freedom and restoration. He's still ordering our steps. God is still speaking over us. And his creative power is being released in the lives of everyone who will meet his spoken word with faith. Our God is so powerful. There is no man, no angel, no spirit, no principality, or no kingdom that rivals his power. So we see this God of all power, and we get to know him through Jesus Christ by relationship, and we get to see his power revealed to us and demonstrated through us. That's the beauty of the Christian walk. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world, amen? That the power of God would be displayed in my life and in yours. Wow. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
but it continues, and it says that the glory is also his. Now, what does that mean? The word translated glory is the Greek word doxa. The word glory here, doxa, has a broad meaning, but it boils down to this doxa. Glory means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. The text could read, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and then the dignity, the honor, the praise, and the worship. That's all yours, God. The dignity belongs to you. The honor belongs to you, amen. The praise belongs to you. The worship belongs to you, God. And many times when we study the glory of God, you know, and, and, and you know, when we study that topic, you're going to hear... S- you know, someone from behind the pulpit say, and it's true, that all the glory belongs to God and he doesn't share his glory with anyone. When you study that word doxa, because it has a broad meaning, there are some parts that are exclusively for God. The praise and the worship always belongs to God. But because we're God's children, he allows us to display some of his glory in our lives by reflecting it. Now, I want you to look at this. In the New Testament, there's another example of the word doxa being used in Matthew 6, 29. It's being used to describe King Solomon. It said Solomon in all his glory, and that word is doxa. And I want you to see that what was happening here in the life of Solomon is that because of the blessing of God on his life and the anointing of God on his life, he was reflecting some of the glory of God. And that was translated in his life by dignity and honor. You and I should walk so close to God, be so filled with the Holy Spirit, should be so committed to the purposes of God that we reflect his glory to a world that needs to see Jesus. That when they look at me and they look at you, they should ascribe dignity and honor to us because we walk as children of God. Amen. But I want to say this. The praise and the worship belongs to God alone. Never give your praise or your worship to a man, to a ministry, to a corporation, to a foundation, to a nation. Never give your praise to anyone but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he's the only one that deserves it. All the glory, all the praise, all the worship belongs to God. But you and I should conduct ourselves in such a way that we reflect his glory in a way that dignity and honor accompanies our Christian walk. You know, and some Christians, ah, no, I don't want to do this. And we live so far below what God has called us to be. It's no wonder why the world looks at the church and says, no, thank you. No dignity, no honor. Don't keep our word. We don't keep out of sin. We don't discipline ourselves. We, we don't push the leaven out. We don't stand against things that are unscriptural. Just trying to thin the place out a little bit more. The glory belongs to God. The worship belongs to God. You and I should reflect the glory of God in a way that people see Jesus in a Solomon commanded dignity and honor. And it was because of the anointing of God in his life. The glory and the praise and the worship belong exclusively to God. And forever he will enjoy the glory. You say, what's the glory that God's going to enjoy? Well, he he doesn't need anything from us. But one of the things that's going to glorify him most of all is what he has done in the lives of sinful men through the blood of Jesus. Amen. 
God glories in the church. Jesus glories in the church that he says, look what I did with all, with all these crazy, messed up people stuck in the filth and the mire. I snatched them out and made them trophies of my grace and I've made them a peculiar people and I've saved them from sin and they love me and they chose me and they'll be with me for eternity. <laughs> Woo, is it hot out there? Is it hot out there? Amen. Don't wilt on me now. I'm going to hurt myself. Well, let me close this down before I do hurt myself by just bringing us to the last part of the message. You think, well, surely you're done, Pastor Rick. It's like, you know, the second half of verse 13, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. But, but there's more. Yeah, there's more. It says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Say forever. 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 Amen. Now, you would think, well, this is just the ending. No, this is not the ending. Forever means something. It means that our God is a forever God. The prayer template is reminding us at the very end that our God is a forever God, that he's not a temporary kingdom, that he's not going to pass away, that it's not going to just fade away and give way to something else. You know, the world is always talking about progression and changing the paradigm and the new normal and all this nonsense. And all they're talking about is the fact that, you know, this world is being prepared for the Antichrist and for all of the things that are to come that are talked about in the book of revelation but listen there's no new nothing in heaven god is still on the throne the it's always going to be that way forever forever and ever and ever amen our god is a forever god his kingdom is an eternal kingdom forever He'll be powerful, and forever he will have glory, and forever he will bask in what he has accomplished in the lives of men through his son on the cross. There's no expiration date to his kingdom. There's no expiration date to his power, his glory. No one can cancel out his reign. No one can unseat him from his throne. No one can usurp his authority or vote him out. Listen, our God is a forever God. And that's important to us because there's eternity in all of us too. You see, we're created in the image of God. We're body, soul, and spirit. Our bodies will go back to the dust, amen? In fact, the longer you live, your body is literally breaking down while you're living in it. It's like, it's like an old car. You know, I hope I make it to, to the next spot here. They don't even make parts for this anymore. This body's going to break down, amen. Have you ever just, you know, looked in the mirror and go, I want to talk to the manager. This body's not supposed to last forever. But there are parts of us that are eternal. We have a, an eternal soul that's going to be with our eternal spirit. And we're going to live somewhere forever in eternity. And that's why it's important that we understand that the forever part of us is going to go to be with our forever God, and that's a sure thing, amen. Woo! Forever we're saved. Aren't you glad that there's no expiration date on that? There's no recall? Oh, all people saved between the years of 1969 and 1983? No. We're forever saved. Forever your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Forever you're redeemed. Forever your sins are forgiven. God says, I remember your sins no more. I cast them as far as the east is from the west. That's a picture of infinity. God doesn't remember. He doesn't say, oh, 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 well, sorry, there's a statute of limitation on that. Your sins are back now and you're in trouble. 
See, this idea of our God being a forever God is an important concept for us to grab. That no one's going to reverse what he's decreed in his kingdom. Forever we're saved, forever we're forgiven, forever we've been rescued, forever we're restored, forever we're redeemed, and forever we will enjoy the benefits and the blessings of his grace and his mercy in his eternal kingdom. Wow. Amen. Amen. Woo. We might suffer now, like that song says, Kelly, for now we feel pain, but forever we're going to have our tears dried and we're going to be comforted and all our fears are going to be gone. Forever we're going to be in the presence of God. Forever is a long time to enjoy the benefits of God's grace. And I'll close with this. Forever is a long time to be wrong about Jesus. There are those that say, ah, Jesus was nobody. He didn't even exist. Jesus was just a man. He was just a teacher. He was just a rebel who was crucified by the Romans. Listen, forever is a long time to be wrong about Jesus. He is the Savior of the world. He is our only hope. And he will redeem us if we cry out to him and acknowledge who he is. Forever can be settled for all of us today if we would say yes to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. I want to give you an opportunity, as I did in first service, and some responded that today we can make a decision that settles our eternity, that settles our forever. Hundreds and hundreds in this room for decades and decades have made that decision, and I'm one of them, and it's changed my life. But the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. It's believing in Jesus and his resurrection that he died in our place to settle the score for our sins, that he extends us an opportunity to say, I receive you, Jesus, as payment for my sins, and we would receive salvation as a free gift. Religion teaches you you have to earn your salvation. You have to do works. You have to do better and try harder. The Bible teaches the exact opposite. We can't be saved by our works, by the works of the law, by good deeds. No flesh will be justified. We can only be saved by grace. It is a free gift. If you're sitting there today and you said, I've known about Jesus, I've heard about Jesus, but I have never given my life to Jesus, the Bible says today, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. It's that simple. If you want to be forgiven, if you want to acknowledge Jesus, if you want a clean slate and a fresh start starting today, I want to give you the opportunity to invite Jesus into your heart to be the Lord of your life. How many people would want to do that today? If you're here and you need to do that, don't leave this place without making that commitment. How many? How many? I'm looking, I'm seeing hands. Going up and down here. Let's make a decision this morning. It's important. Father, I'm just praying today that we would be ready to meet you. That if you called us home today, each of us would be ready to meet you. Let's say a prayer together. Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner. And I ask you to forgive my sins. I repent. And I acknowledge you. As the Savior. Save me from my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
You say, what will a prayer like that do? Well, it satisfies what the scripture says that we would acknowledge him before men. He'd acknowledge us before our father. When they preached the gospel in the New Testament, they brought people to a point of decision. They told them to repent and receive Jesus. And that's what this is today, that we're acknowledging who Jesus is. We're repenting publicly and we're receiving Jesus personally. So if you did that this morning, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now listen to me, a prayer that you repeated doesn't save you, but if your heart agreed with that prayer, you're going to walk out the next steps. You're going to go to church. You're going to get a Bible. You're going to begin to pray. You're going to begin to learn about the Lord, and your faith will grow, and God will change everything in your life. You say, Pastor, how do you know that you don't even know me? Because God is no respecter of persons. He did it for me. He did it for hundreds and hundreds of people in this place for years and years. He'll do it for you because he loves you just as much. So let's give God a hand clap of praise this morning.